Welcome to A Champion's Mind with your host, Mario Aroyave. Some say the sky's the limit. It isn't. The limit is in your mind. You believe that or else you would not be listening to this podcast. You believe that you could do more. You believe that you can perform at a higher level than you currently are. You are absolutely right. Thanks for being open-minded and allowing this podcast to help you develop a champion's mind. In this podcast, we'll discuss and hear about some mental strategies we can implement to help you achieve your utmost performance. If you feel like you're not performing at your true potential, this podcast will look to give you the keys that can open that lock. Welcome to the A Champion's Mind podcast. I am here today with Valeria Rodriguez, and she is a mommy runner and teacher currently. Valeria, thank you so much for giving of your time, your busy time as a, as a mom and as a teacher. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So you do come from a running background, and so tell us a little bit about your story of how you got involved in running. It's a, a long story, but I'll, I'll shorten it for the sake of the podcast. I am 30 years old, and I started about 24 years ago um, when I was in first grade because my best friend in my class ran faster than me in PE, and I couldn't talk with her (laughs) while I was running because she was faster. So I told my dad that I wanted to practice after school so I could stay with her. Her name is Marlene de Leon. We're still friends. And her dad happened to be the cross-country coach. So we sometimes would talk about how to get faster so that we could run together in PE. And um, her dad said that PE, I mean, cross-country wasn't open until second grade, but he made the exception and he allowed us to join the team in first grade. And um, we would go so that I could practice. (laughs) That was my first goal, was to stay with her. And then little by little, um, I had different goals. But even before then, there was kind of a little seed that was planted by my parents and doctors because I was born um, with a physical, I guess, my legs were a little twisted, a little deformed when I was born. So my my parents uh, had various Uh, doctors tell them that I needed surgery on my legs and I had casts on my legs until I was two and um, they wanted to do more surgeries but my dad said you know give me alternatives because after five miscarriages and 12 years of trying to have kids I don't want my first daughter to have huge scars on her legs so Mm. they said well you can do physical therapy and horseback riding the physical therapy involved you know running motions and things like that and the horseback riding was to widen, like strengthen my legs and widen, um, I guess, stabilize my legs more. Uh, so my dad would go walking and running with us and take me horseback riding. And we did all, all that stuff before first grade. And then in first grade when there was like the social uh, need to fit in with friends and my friend ran, then it kind of just combined and my dad was like oh you know the doctors did say that would help so he supported me trying to keep up with my classmates and that was it and I because my legs were kind of twisted 
like my knees would would knock and my ankles would be apart so I would fall often I would finish those cross-country races full of mud um, because they always happen to be in (laughs) swampy Belen areas I remember I didn't like it and I was about to quit I would cry in the school office every day that we had a race and the principal told my dad, like, you really need to stop pushing her. Like, she doesn't want to do it. And my dad's like, she can quit whenever she wants. So I was in third grade, and I was like, I want to quit. And my dad's like, that's fine. You can quit, but you just have to do one more race. And I was like, okay, fine. That's it. One more race. Pressure's off. I do this one race, and I'm off the hook. And I <laughs> it was the first race of fourth grade. And I was running with one of the Belen Pacers, and I was going around the same course as always, and it was going to be my last race, and somehow I ended up in the front racing a boy to the finish for first place, and when I finished, my dad's like, congratulations, you won, now you're done, and I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to be done, (laughs) and he's like, no, no, but you don't have to do it anymore, I know you don't like it. And now that I think about it, it was total reverse psychology that he used on me, but it worked. And I was like, I don't want to quit. And he's like, no, no, but it's okay. I know how much it stresses you out. And I was like, but just one more. And he's like, okay, fine, fine, if you really want to. And from then on, I got a taste for crossing finish lines in the front and seeing nothing in front of me except you know the 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 little bobcats that sometimes lead the race or the pacers and it it just it was so nice so exciting that chase and I just have never stopped cool let me let me ask you a question about that race your your quote-unquote your last race and here you are at 30 and you're still doing it. But that race, uh, your first race in fourth grade, when you got to the start line on that race and you knew that it was going to be your last one and then you could just walk away, were you just more relaxed at that race? Was it just a different attitude and mindset going into that race as, as opposed to your other races before that? Well, before that, I knew that I was going to be in the back and I didn't want to be there. Whereas this one, I knew that it didn't matter what where I was because it was going to be the last one anyway and in the other ones I would run by myself and just see everyone going further and further away and like just falling back and literally falling sometimes I don't know it was something about that race maybe it was the fact that there was a pacer next to me like distracting me I almost want to say it was George Bustamante but I don't remember exactly who it was I know that he paced me my eighth grade year, my seventh grade year for one of the biggest races I had in middle school. And it was amazing because there was a girl that had always won everything and she was older than me. She was in eighth grade. She was a year older. But back then she was like super old. (laughs) (laughs) In seventh grade, he would pace me for my races and it was her last race. And my dad told me, he's like, well, you know, Next year, it's going to be you because she always wins. And I was like, but I don't want to win next year. And she's not there. Like, it's not going to count. I want to win this year because she is here. And my dad's like, okay, well, you know, you already know what you have to do. And she would always have a huge lead. And George got next to me and he would tell me, all right, she's at the fence. She's about 50 strides away. She's about 20 strides away. 
He's like, you look relaxed. You look good. You look strong. We're just going to go. We're just going to push a little bit to this next part, and then we'll take a break. We're gonna, and then when it was time to take the break, I'm like, no, what's the next part? And we're okay, fine. We're going to push to that other corner, and then we'll take a break. And just like that, inch by inch, and I caught her on the last stretch. And I remember it was on in the middle of the track, the track at Belen. And he kind of went to the right, and I did the final stretch by myself, and I caught her. And I just remember being like, wow, like, that that's it. That was that was it. That was the goal. That was it. And <laughs> and I'm done. I rem- and I I never thought about the consequences of like that race on her because it was her last race. But I just I just remember that inch by inch, like corner by corner, closing the gap and having someone next to you kind of like talking you through the process. And I will, like, I to this day, I have pictures of that race that I sent to George, and I go, hey, remember this? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it, man, that is such a solid m- mindset principle and skill that a lot of athletes don't have. And it's, you took the race, and you had some guidance there, but you took the race by, in small pieces, and you were invested in the process. If you looked at the lead that, you know, this young lady had on you at the beginning, it could have been very daunting, but you allowed yourself to take it in segments and to allow that lead to continue to come down. You were able to be successful there, and you weren't thinking about failure, and you weren't thinking about success either. Notice I, I'm saying that, you know, you weren't thinking about winning the race and you weren't thinking about losing the race. You were just thinking about getting to the next fence post. You were thinking about getting to the next segment. And then when you got to the rest part, you didn't want to rest because you were invested in the process. And and it worked out for you. You know, for anybody listening to this podcast, you know, obviously from a very young age, you've understood investing in a process and not getting caught up in outcome goals. Now, we'll talk about it later. And you've won quite a bit of races in your career. But that doesn't come from, well, if we take it back to your to your first race in fourth grade, you weren't thinking about winning, but you won. You were just thinking about the process of it, and it worked out for you. And so – Sorry to interrupt you, but now that I'm studying educational psychology and doing my master's, I realize that there's so many things that my parents and coaches did at a young age that fostered this without this formal background in education because when you're school age that 6 to 11 age range where I started running and competing kids are developing curiosity and they're determining whether they're inferior to to classmates or they are capable they're picking up basic skills on willpower they're they're picking up basic skills on hope they're picking up basic skills on competence. And all these things were fostering that philosophy because day-to-day achievements in these extracurricular activities were fostering self-esteem, were fostering understanding of uh, work ethic, whereas people start to pick that up or try to understand that later on, I, I, I feel lucky that that was ingrained into the everyday at first grade, second grade, third grade. Absolutely. Tied to that point, I mean, I'm reading a book by John Wooden, you know, the great coach at UCLA, and, uh, you know, he, he mentions his parents 
repeatedly, you know, and the things that they would do. And again, he talks about, you know, life on a farm and how they were able to teach him that way, you know, but you're right. It's not a formal, this is the theory on, you know, work ethic. It's just, you know, the nuts and bolts of everyday life and how your parents live their lives and what you're able to see on a, on a consistent basis. You know, that's why I, you know, I was a school teacher myself. And that's why we tell people, you know, you're only as good as the company that you keep. Try to tell, you know, young people, you need to be very mindful of the relationships and the people that you do life with friends and your influences because they they will you will pick up things from them be it positive or negative and so um, yeah the fact that you were able to have some good support there from a young age it benefited you right as an athlete and now as a mom and as a person and now you're you know passing that along to to your son and you know he'll pass that and so it's just it's a it's a great cycle to be in when you do have good influences and you're able to just continue to pass that along and then you know, obviously you in the classroom, you're also passing that along to uh, to the to the students sitting in those seats that you're teaching. So when did you realize, when did you come to the realization that you like were pretty good at the at the running thing? Like you were you were actually, you know, successful or could be very successful. Well, one thing that I do remember from very little was that my dad told me, you are not anything extraordinary. You are a regular girl, and you are a regular runner. You are just putting in extra work that the other girls are not doing. While the other girls are eating burger before a race, my mom would make me, you know, lentils or something for lunch, like homemade, and, you know, I would eat very well. Um, my dad would make sure that we would go to sleep early before the races, and he would say, races are one with the extras. I remember him saying that from very early on, but when I got to high school, it almost was, you know, entering this new realm where I, I was like, wait, like, I, I was a stud, but it was because people didn't take it that seriously. Like, I would practice all the time. My friends didn't. <laughs> but now I'm with people that practice all the time, so this is serious. And I remember the the jitters before my first race. My hands would always sweat, and I lined up at Larry and Penny Thompson Park in Miami for my first high school meet with my new high school uniform. And we, the race started, and I found myself, and, and Coach would always, uh, tell us that you're as strong as the slowest runner. So he would keep us together for the first two miles of the three-mile race, and then he said every woman for herself. So I, I, I stayed with the group. I, I stayed with the pack until we hit the two-mile, and when we got to the two-mile mark, I was like, all right, this is where he said we could go if we could, and I went for it, and there was no one left to chase. And I was looking for the finish line frantically, and I crossed, and I looked back, and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> and um, and the girl, I remember the girl that, that I beat still competes in triathlons, and we talk about it all the time. But I turned around, I shook her hand, and she's like, awesome job. I was like, that's it? That's, that's high school running? And, and I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is going to work out after all. <laughs> Because I'm yeah. working with the big girls now, and I did okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And that sparked the rest of the older girls on the team, because I never got first on the team ever again that season. And actually, one of the girls on the team 
ended up winning states that that year and I remember I think I got third or something I remember my dad telling me I was like man I won the first race and then I never won again he's like no you lit a light underneath the older girls and you reminded them that they needed to get in gear or you were going to keep going and he's like you're only going to be as good as the people you train with and I remember there were no off days there was no slow days there was no like recovery days ever my freshman or sophomore year at Lourdes and some of my friends were like oh you're gonna get you know worn down you're gonna tire out you're all these phrases that they have for for people that do too much but my dad kept telling me like the only way to get stronger is to keep pushing and keep trying to keep up with them and I we won states the the following three years and I never won individually in cross country, but was always in the top three, top five. It was just that first race that I was like, I'm with the big girls and and I'm here. And that same feeling happened when I got to UF. Like the next step up, I became, you know, stud-like at the end of high school. And people were like, oh, you know, top in the county and all this stuff. No one else has won back-to-back titles in track and and I was like, oh, cool. And then I get to college and my roommates all have my same exact times in in everything. I'm like, well, so much for feeling special. <laughs> and again, my first two years at UF were nonstop, no recovery days. Every workout was hard. The The long runs were all out for 12 miles and the, the 1K repeats were all out for 1K repeats. But that was just the, the name of the game. I'm taking down notes because you're you're giving us so much good stuff here. But I'm going to go back, and for those that are listening that have no idea what Belen is, where Larry and Penny Thompson Park. By the way, I'm from Miami as well, and so that's where Valeria is from. I know Valeria, and I followed her career and such, but she ran for a team called Lourdes Academy, and they were, a, they were and they still are, uh, but back when she was there, they were they really were a dynasty. They were the premier cross-country program in in the state uh, for the girls. And it's just so awesome to just get to chat with you and to hear about all of the influences because there's a, there's a coach, coach Montalvo, uh, Ari Montalvo, who was, is, I think one of, one of the best coaches that I have ever come in contact with. The, The man is just absolutely amazing with, with everybody that he comes in contact with. It just, it, this is taking me back like, like over 20 years, this program that they had. And she's not kidding. I mean, there weren't easy days. Coach Montalvo was, was relentless on work ethic. And it, it's funny. There were a lot of naysayers all the time. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and put my neck on the chopping block. I was one of them. These girls would work so hard that I, I would think to myself and others in the, in the area as well. We were like, there's no way that they can continue at this pace and not fall apart. And they proved us wrong and they continued to work hard and they continued to do that. And that's why they were successful not caring about what others think, but just having your team culture and, and being able to just stick to that and, and, and staying together as a unit and kind of blocking out all the external noise because there was a lot of external noise around this team. I mean, they were they were under the gun every single week. I want to talk about – let you, you talked a little bit about UF, but I don't want to go there yet, the University of Florida. Let's talk about Lourdes. I mean, on that team, what did you feel – 
was essential to like you guys being so successful, like so good, right? So dominant. Well, Coach Montalvo would always say, give me five girls with guts and I'll give you a state championship. And he would always, always tell us, there's a bear shit in the woods. Um, but for real, <laughs> he would tell us that, you know, he doesn't want, he didn't want talent. He wanted people who were willing to work hard and, and trust him. And I, I would always get on the line and I would look for, for him. And he would just, he wasn't a man of many words, but he would nod his head. And I would know, like, it was in the bag kind of thing. And um, he would he would just have a, a way of believing so much in in his training and and what we were doing that he would tell me, if you believe one-tenth of one percent of what I believe in you, you'd be amazed at what you can accomplish. And I was like, it's okay, Coach, as long as you believe, I got it. <laughs> Yeah, and there were yeah. there were races where we would be in track. We could be a 200 behind in a in a four hundred uh, four by eight relay, a 200 behind, and I would be the last leg, and I would stand at the line next to the coach of the girl who was winning, and would say, "I want her by the 200, or, or I want her by the 400," or he he would say something like ridiculous, like, "I want you know." A, a 61st lap and all the coaches are like what is he telling her and I would look at him like deer in headlights and he's like go and I take <laughs> off and I would you know catch the girl and finish and then he'd be like told you kid and all the other coaches were like no that did not just happen <laughs> and he had a way of of talking to us in a in a way that made us trust the group and trust the number. He said numbers don't lie. And he would break all the workouts down by numbers. He would look at, he would do all these scouting things of competitors for us, and he'd go team by team and what they had run and if they were on an upstream or a downstream. And he, he would even tell us, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I remember one time we were landing in Texas, in Austin, because we were racing for the first time in Texas relays, which was a big deal for us. Mm -hmm. We had never competed there, and it was high-quality competitors. We got off the plane, and I had and I had only run a 5.10. It was my sophomore year, and I'd only run a 5.10 mile. And he told me, kid, I did what I don't like that other coaches do. I lied. To put you in the fast heat, I said that you ran a 5.05. <laughs> And I said, Coach, like five sec, five whole seconds. Like we're not talking one. We're talking five whole seconds that you lied. He's like, well, don't make me look like a liar. <laughs> and I lined up, up and ran a 504 just because. And he gave me the split to hit at the 200, at the 400, at every lap. And he would give me the nod if I was on pace. And no movement if I wasn't. When I crossed the finish line, he just nodded. And I knew that he was ecstatic, but he just did this little nod and a wink. And, and that was it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I didn't make him a liar. <laughs> <laughs> but it's things like that. And he always said that what makes a, a solid team is always going to be the, the, the believing in each other and the, the working hard.
are, he's like, no one's going to ever hand you a championship. And especially when you're at the top, everyone's going to want to take it. The hard work is the only thing that will keep you moving forward. Awesome. I'm not going to add anything to that. Like I said, I have the utmost respect for Coach Montalvo. You guys definitely had a treasure in him just because of the way he went about relationships. It's just it's so much bigger than running now. You know, that's that's a relationship that y'all have that is uh is so valuable and so awesome. And so, awesome. Cool. Well, let's let's switch gears a little bit here. You talked a little bit about it, but you did you have a mindset shift when you went from running in high school to college? Thanks for listening to part one of the interview with Valeria Rodriguez, where we went through her early career, taking her all the way up to her high school days at Lourdes Academy. Tune in next week for part two, where we'll pick up at the University of Florida with Valeria's collegiate career and take it all the way through to where she currently is now and some neat things that she's working on. So thank you so much for listening and until next time. Thanks for listening to A Champion's Mind. As you continue to implement the content discussed here, you'll move closer and closer to performing at your utmost potential. Keep challenging yourself and don't settle until you achieve your goals. If you can't wait until the next episode to do some more work on your mental game, head over to utmostperformance.org where you can find some more content to consume. You can also like our Facebook page, Utmost Performance. We sincerely value your support as we continue to partner together to help you perform at your utmost.